0: Uh, Luke chapter number 14, if you will. If you were... Could I get you to back me off just a little bit on the mains? Could you do that? And uh, if if you were to put the Lord's ministry... When he came to this earth for three and a half years, uh, his earthly ministry, at 12, they had kind of lost Jesus, and when they found him, he was in the temple... He made the statement, Wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. Well, he does not burst back onto the scene until his baptism. Then at his baptism, you're going to find out that he now deals, and if I could just focus, get you to focus in as you're doing a great job on this beginning statement. When our Lord comes, he basically deals with four groups of people. And I'm going to put them up on the screen, if you would, gentlemen. He deals, first of all, with the nation of Israel. So now we're talking about the nation. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he came to this nation. Then you're going to find that it is now pared down to where he deals with those who believe. So we go from the nation to those who believe as he walked among this nation for three and a half years, as he did miracles, as he proved on different levels, that it was not a boast of his, it was the truth of his, I am the Son of God. I have power. I and my Father are one. He who has seen the Father has seen me. I mean, this was his claim. So when he came to the scene, the nation of Israel rejected then there was this group he was constantly dealing with that they believed. They believed. In fact, in fact, they believed so much that they were like, hey, hey, I hear, I hear one word from you, and my daughter can be healed. You, you just speak the word and 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 they'll be healed. They believed. The Bible says that they believed so much that they followed him, not necessarily because he was the Messiah but because of the miracles that he did. And they knew. Man, man, you you get that person to him, I'm telling you. He, they believed. In fact, they believed so much that the four horsemen, if you will, of the New Testament tore off the roof just to get somebody down. They believed. So he dealt with four primary. He dealt with the nation of Israel. Then he comes down to those who believed. And then he comes down to this third group, those who followed. So, and I'm not, yes, many followers. You're going to find out that even when you get to the upper room in Acts, if y'all would just bear with me here, even when you get to the upper room, it's 120 in the upper room. Where did these 120 come from? They came from the followers. These followers included women. Uh, If you'll notice at the resurrection, when the tomb, when the stone was rolled away, the ladies ran you'll notice that there were followers. There there were people that were like, no, 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 we're just not part of this nation and we just don't believe that he is and has the power. We're followers. We're followers. Then you paired all the way down. This is what I want to talk to you about today. Then you had the disciples. It was this group. It was Jesus and the 12. You see, when it was the nation... They didn't like his claims when it was those who believed they loved his miracles when it was the followers they were convinced but there was this little bitty group of disciples these disciples had the ability and please listen to this these disciples had the ability that when Jesus spoke in parables where the nation did not understand nor agree with and where those who believed just wanted him to get through his introduction and get through your four points because we want to see something happen. And where the followers are like, hey, where are you going to be next? There were these group of disciples that every time Jesus spoke, they were like, I get exactly what you're trying to say. Isn't that amazing in one family with multiple children, you parents know this, that you can make a statement and there are some children in your family that are like, I don't know what he meant by that. But there's always that child who goes, oh, come on. Are you serious? You know exactly what dad meant by that. Well, he didn't specifically say. There are many lessons that Jesus told his disciples. I'm going to give you one among many. Listen, if you can master this one lesson, it will help you not focus On your problems that are causing you anxiety. A believer, a follower, a disciple. I wanna be a disciple. And when I come across truths like this in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 14, I I am constantly amazed how that God puts right before us the answer to either living life with mirrors. Or living life with windows. It is either you wake up every day going, well, look at what I got to deal with, and look as poor as me, and look what it those problems will always be there. Those problems are like your children, and they're like the chickens, and they're like the ducklings. They will follow you across the streets of life, but the secret, the secret to getting rid of anxiety and getting rid of the frown is when all of the sudden you become a disciple and when you view it from how Jesus views it, then get ready. You'll still have the problems. But you're going to realize this, that where Jesus came into his own and his own received him not, that was his problem he dealt with it did not stop him. Because he moved on from the constant nag of the nation that doubted him. And he had the ability to live life. And he had the ability to keep his joy. And we live in a world that believers and followers cannot break through to be a disciple because they're living in a life full of mirrors. Oh, I'm coming to you today and saying this. Listen to me. The secret to breaking out of whatever, whatever dark clouds are in your life is found in this one lesson among so many. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I cannot believe that, Lord, we are here. I cannot believe that this is now. All week it's been like I can't wait for Sunday, And Lord, we're here, the singing, the special, was like incredible. The singing has been incredible. And Lord, it is amazing how that you want to teach us how to have joy. You you told us, you know, my, my, my joy is in you. I want your joy, my joy, to be full. Then why do we live such a subpar life? God, I ask that you'll help us now with your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 14, if you'll look at verse 26, he says this, Ye cannot, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus was always trying to pull those who believed and those who followed him into this relationship with him that all of a sudden you now have his joy. You now have his passion. You now have his drive. You now have his life. He said, you cannot be my disciple. Look at verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his what, please? Savor. Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him what? Hear. There he is. He's saying, now look, look, if you've got the right outlook and you want to be a disciple, if you desire to be a disciple, let me pause and just say this. If you're here and you're just part of the nation that you still do not believe, then you're not going to get this this morning. If you are here and you are like, would you just get through the introduction so that we can see what wow's going to happen, then you're not going to get this this morning. If you are just that person that you're a follower, when do we meet next so I can socialize? But if you're here and you say, no, 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 I want to be a disciple. I, I want to learn something about Christ that, that causes me to break out of this world I'm living in to his world that he wants me to live in. Listen what it said. If the salt have lost his savor if and when a disciple who is to be salt loses its savor literally what the word savior savor here means is insipid it means tasteless here you are, you're saved. How many could say, Pastor, I'm saved. I, I, I know Christ is my Savior. Then he just doesn't want you to be a follower, and he just doesn't want you to be a believer. He wants you to be a disciple because he wants you to have a constant savor in your life that you become a difference maker. In this world you see if you as a believer and a follower are not different if there is no difference where you go to school if there is no difference where you work if you don't stand out among your environment and stand out among your family and stand out among your neighborhood listen then you will not fulfill what God intended for you to fulfill I'm gonna preach this morning on this subject the true disciple The true disciple is the disciple that has in him a saver. And they have in them something different. Now, we arrive at the very end of Luke chapter 14, but everything in Luke 14 at the very end, and I want you to stay with me, is predicated upon the entire chapter. There's a reason why these two verses find themselves at the very end. Can we look at it? If you go back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 14, the story starts out, or the chapter starts out, with a story. It's a real story about a real man that had a problem. Now, this man had a problem. This man, if you'll look at it, and don't trust me, look at Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. I want you to take note of the Sabbath day. Would you kind of circle that, underline that in your mind or in your Bible? What is the first thing I want you to take note of is the what, please? Sabbath day. This is a day of rest. What is Sabbath day? It is a day of what? Rest. Jesus in the house of the Pharisees on the Sabbath day. Keep reading. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsies. And Jesus, answering, spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Jesus now is met with a man that has a problem. This man had a problem on what day? The Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was the day of what? Rest. And all of a sudden, he asked the Pharisees. They knew the law. And then he asked the lawyers. He said, i got a question for you guys. Is it lawful or is it within the parameters of what is acceptable to heal on the Sabbath day? Here is this man with dropsy. Here is Jesus saying, guys, I got a question for you. It was obviously this man needed healing. This man needed something. And he said, is it lawful? And they held their peace and he took him and healed him and let him go. What day did he do this on? It was supposed to be a day of what, please? But this man had a problem. Look what it says here. And he answered them saying, "Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out?" On the what? You know what he was saying? If your donkey and your ox which makes you money on a day of rest all of a sudden fell into a ditch do you know what you would do on your day of rest because they make you money you would leave and go to where those donkey and that oxen and you would pull them out you see on the sabbath day they would turn the oxen and the ass loose they would turn them loose and then at nighttime, they would come back. It gave them a day of rest. He said, if all of a sudden we're sitting here, this is what the Christ was saying. If we're sitting here getting ready to eat, and somebody came running in and said, hey, hey, by the way, um, your donkey is like fell in a ditch. Oh, you'd get up right away, and you'd run out there. So he's saying to them, and they could not answer him again. To these things. Now, remember, remember, he's telling us what is a true disciple. A true disciple. And then he starts out with this story, and he says, hey, let me tell you something. There's a real man. He's telling us there's a real man that has a problem. It's a day of rest. I'm going to heal this man. Is that lawful for me to do? And while you ponder what I'm asking you, let me tell you something. If The the, the, the animals that make you money were in a ditch. You'd go get them out to be ready for tomorrow morning to make you money. You know what he was saying? This man with his problems is more important than you making money. You see a lack of discernment here. He was trying to tell them. Let me tell you, because at the very end he says this, now listen to me, ye cannot be my disciples, and if you have lost your Savior, if you have lost that distinction about you, if you have lost that discernment about you, if you have lost that ability to look through life and look through the money machine and look through the things and the materialism and look for the people that have a need listen to this statement you will not make enough money in the next 30 seconds to buy your way out of whatever problem you're in you will not whatever whatever's got you burdened down whatever is weighing heavy on your shoulders please listen to this you will not solve it in the next 30 minutes and that discernment to be able to look through life and say lord Lord, I just don't want to be a follower. I just don't want to believer. I want to be a disciple. I want to know what do I do here. You know what he was teaching them? Hey, let me tell you something. You're overlooking the real problem. You can always get another ox. You can always get another donkey. But that person right there has a need. And which is better to take a day of rest and help a man, or to take the take a day of rest. To illustrate how important it is to help someone, to illustrate that there has to be this constant, please listen to what I'm about to tell you, there has to be this constant discernment that no matter how bad your life is, that somebody else has it worse. This is the ed factor in this sermon. I used to tell my mom, I remember specifically one year funds were very low. Basketball season was getting ready to get started. Everybody else was getting their shoes and 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 uh, I said, Mom, mom, basketball's getting ready to start. It was ninth grade, our second year here, and I said, Mom, can I can I can we go buy some shoes? Funds were low. It was it was a very difficult couple of years right through there. And and my mom said, Son, if you can just hang on till mid season, we'll be able to do something. And I started complaining. I went and got my old shoes, and I did my best to clean them up. But she could tell I was complaining. And then she said this to me. Son, you better be glad that you have feet to put in the shoes. Because there are people that don't have feet. I was so self-absorbed with everything that was going on around me. And after all, I can't step under the court with inferior shoes. And how's it going to compare to my buddies who they're going to get brand new shoes? And here I am with these stained tennis shoes. And, and, and I'm hoping to make the starting five. And it just does not keep me with a brand new uniform and, and, and dingy shoes. And then my mother put it all into perspective by saying, This son, you better be glad you have feet to put in the dirty shoes. You see, Jesus was trying to tell people. He's trying to tell us. You've got to have that it factor about you. You've got to have that savor about you. You've got to have that salt in you to where you don't see the money and you're not making moves of how it serves you, but you're making moves. Andrew, good to see you. You're making moves by how it helps others. So then he gives us two stories to illustrate this. Go to Luke chapter 14, you're there. Look at verse 10. In verse 7 through 11, and we're not going to take time to read the entire thing, but verse number 7 through 14, he now tells them a parable. Now remember, these parables are dark to the nation of Israel because they reject, and they really don't mean much to the followers, and they really don't mean that much to those who believed. Oh, but to the disciples. He's speaking in parables, and listen to this, the greatest day in your life is when you walk away from the Bible and you walk away from a sermon saying, I get it. I get it. And my prayer is that today something will turn on and something will help you realize no matter how dingy your shoes are, if I could use mama, no matter how dirty your shoes are, no matter how much it doesn't compare to somebody else's world, praise God, you got a life to put in the dirty shoes. No matter what's happening with the car, praise God, you got a car that clunks down the road. No matter what's going on with the family, praise God, you got a family to come home to. No matter what's going on, I don't have enough money to do this. I don't have enough. Praise God, you got money to at least keep the lights on. And I think we live in such a self-absorbed world that the reason we don't have disciples that are making a difference in this world is because we've lost our savor and we are just nothing but good. Our life, last verse, our life is in the dunghill. Our life is being trampled among men. We do not have the it factor to rise above. When are we, and I include myself, when are we going to stop looking in the mirror and start looking through the window at people who don't have a house? So he says this. He said, let me illustrate this point to you. And he talks about this great supper, if you will. I'm sorry, the, the wedding. And he comes all the way down, and he says the pair, would you look at verse 11? In verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 10. But when thou art bidden, look at it, go and sit down in the what, please? In the lowest room. Listen, is it not amazing that you see it among teenagers sometimes and you see it among the immature? And I'm not saying teenagers are immature. Yes, I am. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I will tell you this. That maturity has nothing to do with how old you are or what year you were born. You can tell someone that is not a disciple by where they want to sit in life and how they want to be first. Because look what he said here. When thou art bidden, go sit down in the what, please? Lowest room. You know what that means? If you're sitting at the lowest seat, then you're with the lowest people that have the lowest, because this is where they were seated. You see, if you came in and during this time and you didn't look the part, then you couldn't sit with those who didn't look the part. And do you know what he's trying to tell them? He's trying to tell them that if you want your savor, then be more concerned about the problems of people than the profit of yourself. If you want that it factor about your life that makes you stand out in any society, then stop looking to be first. Stop looking to sit at the highest. Take upon yourself this attitude. I am going to look for those who sit and the lowest. We're getting ready to start up the youth departments again the 1st of September, which means we're getting ready to go on a program. And it will be telling at every activity and every outreach and every restaurant and every trip and every camp who the mature teenagers are. Because those who got to be popular and those who got to hang out in the click and in the group But God, give us some young people that recognize this one fact. It's not about me. It is about those who need me. Can I say that again? Because I thought that was good. In fact, it's not even in the notes. But I'm going to write it down. Y'all hang on. It is not about me. About okay, that was good. Thank you, Lord. In fact, I wrote it down just two seconds ago. It's not about let me let me tell you something that those teenagers that have that ability to look around and to go, you you know, let's line up and take a picture. There's 50 of us, don't know where I'm going. Invariably, there's one teenager going, Oh, I just, I just, I, 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 I I, I just, I just, oh my goodness, let me get to the back. If I would have known, but you didn't give me time. You don't always tell them, it's not about you. It's about the group. But how many times do the immature wait to see what the teams are to go, I want to be on that team. Rather than being the kind of disciple that says this, it's not about how many points I score, it's about how many times I pass the ball for somebody else to score. It's not about me being on an already-made team, it's about me helping somebody who's never played the game before. You see, it's that that our world needs to have. But as long as people who claim the name of Christ see the donkey and they see the ox, and as long as they're always trying to sit at the highest, would you go to Luke chapter 14, verse 12? When you work your way down here, he then talks to them, starting in verse number 12, about this great banquet. He says there's the wedding feast, and then there's the great banquet. Look at verse 12. Then he said also unto them that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or supper, look at this, call not thy, what please, friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, or thy rich, what? Uh-oh, we're getting ready to go deeper again as a disciple. He said, if you're going to be my, you want that savor. Let me, you ought to be a desire in you. I want to stand out. I, I want that savor. I want something different about me. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be just average. A church cannot function with just average people. The world has got to see Christians who say, Boy, let me tell you something. You've got that ick factor, and it's called the savor of God. It's called being tasteful. And somebody's saying, I want more of that. I want more of that. He says, See the person with the problem, not the prophet. He said, go sit with the lowest, because they need you. And Then he says this. Look at verse 12. Nor thy rich neighbor, lest they also bid thee, what please? Again, look at it, and a, what? Recompense be made thee. You know what he's saying here? That my disciples do not send out invitations to people who have money to send back a gift. My disciples do not do my work for what they're going to get back. Well, well, if I'm nice to that person, then I'll get something back. The reason our political system is so corrupt is because there's so much graft and there's so much bribery that decisions no longer are being made for the good of the people. They are being made for the pockets of the politicians. And what's really sad is it's very rare that you find a politician that does not make backroom deals for his retirement. And if you find such a politician, they won't last long in politics. And That's why Christ came to a world that received him not. Christ came to a kingdom that would reject him. Christ came to this good old boy system. You know what needs to happen in our life? is that we need to stop saying, well, if we invite them to our birthday party, and if we send them this, and if we get them to come out with us, then maybe they'll invite us to theirs. And maybe, let me tell you something, this social networking of you do for me, I do for you, you do for me, I do for you, you give me, I give back to you. When's the last time that a disciple of Christ just simply gave, knowing I'm not going to get anything back, but that's okay, because the Lord rewards those who live this way. It cannot be, be in who we are this salt what this world has to have is the reason that we exist is not for someone to pay us back there is somebody keeping score and it's called the lord there is somebody that's taken note of when you give and it is the lord you want to be my disciple you want this factor in the world around you Everybody here has a world around them, and everybody in that world is suspect as to the motivation of why are you doing what you do. How many used to live up north? Would you raise your hand? You used to live in Yankee land. Okay, how many would agree? Frankie, I'm going to use you, okay? You a graffiti artist, I'm going to use you. I had to bring that out. Frankie, if somebody, me texting, comes to New York, you've never been down here, and I said, Hey, man, how you doing? What would be your first thought? too friendly how many would agree up north you just don't right i think miss bridget was being eloquent about that this past week it was like but down here it's like hey how y'all doing and you can tell move-ins from up north they grab their wall and like hey man what do you want (laughs) hey man what do you want what do you want you know why the gun laws are so bad up north because you can't even say hi to people they'll shoot you through the window down here, at least we wait till you open the door. <laughs> why? Because we're living a world of this. What do you want? Y'all were in Cameroon. Is it not true that people are only nice to you because they? Yeah. And that's why it's odd when somebody does and they want nothing in return. It's like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? What Christ was saying was, look, 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 listen to me. The world needs salt. The world needs something different. If you want to be different, look at the guy with the problem, not the prophet. You want to be different, go sit with the lowest, not the highest, because they need you. You want to do something just a little bit different that will make you effective in this world? Then you be the kind of person that you give without anybody that can give back. Can I ask you a question? In fact, if you will look at the word here real quick, I need to end. If you will go, what he says here, you cannot be my disciple, verse 26. He says, Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look at it. For which of you intending to build a tower? did you underline or take note of the word intending? For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily... After he had laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to war against another king, sits not down first, and consulteth whether it be able with ten thousand and meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a grey way off, he sendeth an ambassage. So likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Being a disciple for Jesus Christ, and I'm done, cannot be a convenient way of life. It must be a life of conviction. And here's why. What day did they pull their ox and their donkey out? It was a day of rest. But on the same day of rest, what did our Savior say? It doesn't matter if it's my day of rest. That man has a need. And what he's telling us here is this. He even backs up and talks about the family, if you don't hate your mother and father. You know, truly he's saying, he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you cannot be pressured by those closest to you if that person needs help. Ah, help them another day. Why do you have to go so far with your Christianity? Why do you have to be so radical with who you are? Why do you got to be that way? And those closest to you sometimes can put the pressure on you not to sit in the lowest. Why are you always a doormat? Why do you let people walk over you? Why do you always give your money away? Those people can't do anything for you. Why are you a senior in high school? Why are you even friends with a 6th and 7th grader? Come on, bro. Step up to and those close, you know what the Lord said? It better be a conviction of yours that I don't live this way because you applaud me. I live this way because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then he uses the illustration of the tower. It's a conviction of this. Doesn't matter how much this costs me. We're going to finish this. Because sometimes people will get into it and It's like, I want to help you, but then, oh, well, if you help me, could could, could you kind of do this? Brother Glosser, you would agree with this. How many times have, in your experience, has somebody been excited about helping, but they wouldn't follow through in helping? Because I only want the down and out on my arm as long as it makes me look like a humanitarian. But God forbid they ever call me at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I go, help. You see, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, listen to this. And you've got to see the people with the problems over the prophet. You've got to humble yourself and sit in the lowest, not the highest. And then you've got to be able to say, I'm going to do for people who cannot do back for me. And I'm committed to this. It's a conviction. It's not a convenience. And if it happens on my day of rest, then so be it. The other day, I told my wife, and R.G. is very ill this morning, and I told my wife, I said, "I'm, I'm shutting off my phone. I'm just shutting off my phone." She said, that, "That's a good. That's a. That, that's probably the best thing you've ever done." I said, "I'm shutting it down after I finished helping these people." <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm not the poster child for this because I fail miserably in my flesh, but I want to be this guy that it's not convenience, it's conviction. Our it factor in this world. It's not the house we live in, it's not the car we drive, it's not the money we make. It's the people that we help. It's the people with the problems. It's the people that are, for whatever reason, have found the lowest seat in life. It is the people who could never repay us. It is the people. When you are busy meeting others' needs, then it takes your focus off your needs. And when your focus is off your needs, then God takes care of your needs. But as long as you are taking care of your needs, and you are fretting over what's going wrong, then God already has an agent, you. But the moment you do his work is the moment he takes care of his worker. This whole chapter reminds me of one person, and that's the Lord. Jesus saw me with a problem, but yet he was inconvenienced to come to this earth and to take care of me with my problem. This chapter reminds me of the Lord, because he not only was inconvenienced and left his throne to come to a manger. But my friend, he came to the lowest. And that was me. I was on my way to hell. And the Lord came all the way down to the lowest. This reminds me of the Lord. Because there's no way that I'll ever be able to repay what he did for me. None. None. I won't be able to do this. And then this reminds me of the Lord because he's going to finish what he started. This, listen to this, this is the it factor. Our Savior has not lost his savor. We love him. Because he first loved us. The cross, problems. Rejection, problems. But what did he say? For the joy that was set before me, he endured. I am not getting rid of my problems. My difficulties are not going away. They they are my throne, my thorn. They are my handicap. They are my limp. They are the things that today, this week, next month, last month, it is the mud I walk through. But as long as I understand I have a chance to help somebody else, then my problems are not really that big. If Ed Metters was here and their family's ill this morning, but if Ed Metters was here, he would tell me you're a little bit too transparent on that one. But I'm going to end with transparency. Miss Kelly and I, one day not too long ago, got into a disagreement over a topic. Don't y'all don't look at me that way, and y'all straighten up your halos, you husband and wives. We got into a disagreement over a topic. I was right. She was wrong. I can say that because she's not here. Of course, uh, I'll have no lunch this afternoon. We were getting into it, and I was right. She was wrong. But then the thing that made me mad was she was right, and I was wrong. But my pride wouldn't let me admit she was right. So you know how us men are, when they're right, and we don't want them to know, I gotta go. So I got my truck, backed out of the garage, took a left down Texas Street, hit George Ritchie, and I need to go drown my pride in Starbucks. (laughs) So like I am headed, I'm headed past the golf course on the can, take a left, come up right by that bank with a beautiful lawn that I'm going to go dig up and put in my front yard take a ride on the can and pull into the parking lot and my phone goes off it's a number I do not recognize but because my number is like public I pick it up I don't recognize the number on the other end is this wife says Pastor Gray you don't know me I don't know you, but I really could use some advice right now. And I said, yes, ma'am, what can I do? She said, "Um, my husband just got done beating me up and threw me out of the house. What do I do? I said, well, ma'am, let's do a couple of things. And I gave her about three, four things to do. I called a friend here in town that helps ladies in those kind of situations, and made an arrangement. She was picked up. She was safe. I turned that truck around. I went back home. You know, listen to me you can become so self-absorbed i can become so self-absorbed that christ says this you're to be savior you're to be savior if you and i are so wrapped up in our own problems the people with real problems that's why we're here that's why we're here are you a disciple Or maybe you're just a follower. Maybe you're a believer. Those are good. But if you really want living, be a disciple. Get the saver. When you walk out of these doors, you're going to meet somebody this week. And pray, God, please, let there be somebody I can help. Please let there be somebody I can help. If there's just somebody I can help, you're going to find out That your problems become small. Because there are people who don't have. Heavenly Father.